And thank you, Sharon. I want to encourage you this morning to open your Bibles with me to the book of Judges. Um, Again, as we walk through this look at fasting, um, this is more topical than what I usually do. Uh, Usually I spend time just walking straight through a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse. But as we prepare, hopefully at the beginning of next year, 2021, to spend some time as a church fasting together, asking God uh, to work among us and to work in us and to give us hearts to share the gospel with people. I want to show you from the Bible what fasting is and why people in the Bible fasted, why God called them to. Uh, And so this morning we're going to begin that that full-on, last week we got it in an overview of fasting, what it is, what it looks like, and now what we're going to do is begin to walk through what does the Bible tell us about the main purposes of fasting. Why did people fast? And the most appropriate place, I believe, to start with that is in the Old Testament, because uh, here's one thing we know, we cannot trace back uh, to exactly the first time of fasting ever. We can't, we can't go back to one singular event when it comes to fasting. But we can look at what are the earliest biblical references to fasting, which is what we're going to look at this morning, starting in Judges 20. And then we're going to jump to Esther chapter 4, and then we're going to look at Psalm 35. So we're going to be going between those three texts. Uh, So if you don't know where Esther is, now's a good time to look in your table of contents and find it so that you'd be ready to go once we're done with Judges chapter 20. But this morning, what I want to share with you is the first main purpose of fasting in the Old Testament, and it is connected to petitioning God. Petitioning God, or to be more uh, specific, it means prayer is connected to fasting. And so in Judges chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, we're going to look at this first mention in the Bible of fasting during the time of the Judges. So I'm going to ask you if you are physically able to stand with me for just a moment as we read these two verses, and then I'll let you sit down for just a second. Judges chapter 20. Starting in verse 26. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days." Heavenly Father, I pray that as we study, you would help us to uh, see what you would have for us this morning. Father, feed your sheep by your word. I ask you to use me as an instrument in your hands. Help people to see Jesus this morning, not me. That you might receive more glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. So here, in Judges chapter 20, we have the first explicit reference to fasting that is found in the Bible. And what we find in in Judges chapter 20, verse 26 and 27, is that fasting in these contexts that I'm going to show you, not only here, but in Esther chapter 4 and Psalm 35, that fasting is a means by which the people of God intensify their prayers. That in fasting, there is a constant connection in the Bible between fasting and petitioning God or praying to him. And we see this even in the life of the Israelites in the Old Testament. 
And so in Judges chapter 20, we're introduced to a very difficult circumstance that the Israelites find themselves in. Just so you know, the background to the entire book of Judges is one that is quite ugly. I don't know if you've spent much time studying it, but there is a constant frame and structure to the book of Judges. It begins with God's people rebelling against him, sinning against him, seeking to go after what they desire. There is judgment that they deserve because of their rebellion against God. And then God raises up a judge or a leader to bring the people back to him in repentance. And then God uh, forgives his people. And then the cycle repeats. They begin to rebel against God again and go astray. And they deserve God's judgment. And God raises up a judge to bring them back. And they repent and they turn back to him. And then they start to sin again. And then it's a constant cycle throughout the entire book. And it is not one of the Israelites' finest moments. It is a time in history when there is ongoing conflict. They're trying to, uh, to win over and secure the promised land. They are still in the midst of conquest of the promised land, fighting and warring. And in chapter 20, we're introduced, actually in chapters 19 and 20, we're introduced to a civil war that breaks out within God's people because of an ugly scene found in Judges 19. I will allow you to read that on your own. It is quite disturbing how sinful the people have gotten. And what happens in chapter 20 is a civil war breaks out between Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. And in that ugly scene, we see something about how the Israelites petition God. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 18 of Judges chapter 20. So they're in the midst of this civil war. The Israelites are trying to determine whether they are going to go out and attack their fellow brethren who are the tribe of Benjamin. And in verse 18, we're told the people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God. Do you know what the word inquired is implying? What are they doing? They're praying. They go up to pray to God And what are they asking God for? Guidance. Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin, they ask. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. So notice that they begin by inquiring or praying to God, what should they do? Well, what happens after they inquire and God tells Judah to go first? Well, the Israelites are defeated. The Benjaminites win. So what do you think the Israelites are going to do next? Glad you asked. Verse 23. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until the evening. And they inquired of the Lord. What does inquire mean? Means to pray. Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against them. So can I point out to you that the first time in verse 18, they inquired of God and were defeated. The second time in verse 23, they wept and inquired about God. You see see the intensification? Now we're weeping and inquiring of God. Well, you would expect then that victory would come, right? Nope, they're defeated again. So what are the Israelites to do now? Glad you asked. Verse 26 Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel. And what do they do? They weep again. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. 
They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel, verse 27, did what? Inquired of God. First time we inquired. Second time we wept and we inquired. Now we are weeping. We are fasting. We're offering sacrifices. And we are now praying to God. You see how all of a sudden fasting is introduced as this intensification of prayer. Not only are we praying, we're pouring ourselves out on this one. We're weeping, we're offering, we're fasting, we're doing all these things as we petition God for guidance and for help. And notice this takes place in the midst of a great trauma for the people of God. And so what I can tell you from Judges chapter 20 is that fasting appears to be connected to desperate prayer. That one of the main purposes of fasting was to intensify your prayer to God. See, we don't normally connect it that way. We think prayer, I just, I just pray, I just inquire of God. But I want you to notice that the people of God in this time of turmoil, they ratchet up their prayers before God. They go to a greater desperation of prayer that came on the heels of defeat. Well, guess what? After they weep and fast and offer sacrifices and pray to God, guess what happens next? Victory, finally. So I want you to see that from Judges chapter 20, I believe fasting is connected to intensified prayer or desperate prayer. Esther chapter 4, would you turn to Esther with me? If you need your table of contents, it's okay. Because to be honest with you, if this was in chronological order, Esther would be last in your Old Testament. But instead, it is lumped together with Nehemiah. And in Esther chapter 4, I don't know how many of you have studied Esther before. But in Esther chapter 4, we are given a picture of the people of God fasting, and guess when they're fasting? What's going on in the life of the people of God? What's going on in the life of the Jewish people at the time Esther 4 is written, at the time that, uh, that these events are taking place? I want you to notice that they are in exile from their homeland. The Jews have been carried off by Babylon, and now the Persians have conquered the Babylonians, so now the Persians are over the Jewish people. And in Esther chapter 4, we find that fasting is called for. So in Esther, in the book, we find that the Jewish people are under Persian rule. And Esther, in chapter 4, is preparing to go approach the king to spare the Jewish people. If you remember from the book of Esther, there is a plot to wipe out the Jewish people that arises because Haman has a problem with Mordecai. What turns out as an individual issue ends up sp spilling over into the entire kingdom. And so Haman desires to have all of the Jews exterminated. And the king agrees to do so. Now what the king doesn't realize is that his own new queen, Esther, is Jewish. She hasn't told him that. And so now Esther finds herself in peril. Not only her, but the entire Jewish people together. And it's during this time that Esther decides, on the prodding of her cousin Mordecai, Esther decides that in order to save her Jewish people, she's going to need to go before the king and ask him to save them. But here's the problem. You don't go 
to the king unless he asks you to. If you, in those days, if you went before the king without his summoning you, that was grounds to be put to death. You did not trifle with him. You did not treat him loosely. If you were going to go before the king, it was going to be because he called you to come. And here's the problem for Esther. As she's thinking about what she has to do. Remember, she's the queen. Why would she have a problem going before the king? Well, we find out in Esther, chapter 4, that it had been more than a month since the king had asked for her. So apparently he's fallen out of infatuation with her. So add that on top of going to the king unsummoned and what does Esther believe might happen to her when she goes? He might kill me. But she's going to do it. And so what does she call on the people to do? Esther sends word through Mordecai, her guardian. And what we find is that there is going to be a great petitioning of God, verse 15 of chapter 4. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and do what? Hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I want you to notice Esther sends word that the people should fast together. And what is the purpose of this fasting? What does she hope will arise as a result? Well, I believe what we see, even though God's name is never mentioned in Esther, I believe what she's saying is fast before God that he might give some kind of favor to her when she goes in before the king. That she knows she can't control the king. No one else can control the king. But if the people fast and petition, maybe she'll find favor before the king. I believe that's an implicit reference to petitioning God for him to move with some great might. And so again, I believe in Esther chapter 4, just as in Judges chapter 20, we see that fasting is connected to intense or desperate prayer for some great need. So not only that, not only in Judges chapter 20, not only in Esther chapter 4, but I want you to turn with me finally to Psalm 35. And in Psalm 35, we see the cry of David, one who had experienced a great deal of tribulation and stress, one who had endured a great amount of difficulty. And in Psalm 35, we find his petition is connected to fasting. And in Psalm 35, what a great picture we see of the love David had for others. In Psalm 35... We see this petition of David, and this is given as a petition of a righteous one concerning those who hate him. What do you do with people who hate you? What do you do with people who desire your doom? What do you do with people who would rather see you eliminated than to ever love you? Glad you asked. David felt that. As one who was innocent, David was under intense persecution, not only from Saul himself, but from all of those who were in allegiance with him. And so David, under unjust persecution, 
tells us how he treated those who used to be close to him. In Psalm 35, we see this picture of his great love and mercy. Verse 13, actually starting verse 12, he's talking about those who now chase after him and seek his destruction. He says in verse 12, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft, means sorrowful. Verse 13, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. As David thinks back on those who are now trying to attack him, David reflects on how he treated them. And what does he say? For them, he prayed with great desperation. When they were sick, when his enemies were sick, guess what David did? He wore sackcloth and he afflicted himself with fasting and he prayed with head bowed on my chest. What he's speaking of is the desperate, intense prayer he gave for those who are now seeking his destruction. So what is fasting connected to in Psalm 35? I believe fasting is directly connected to intense or desperate prayer before God. So let me ask. If we see that in the Old Testament, that this was something that God's people did, do we do this? Do we ever accompany our prayers with a desperation marked by fasting? That we would give up eating in order to commit ourselves to desperately seeking and inquiring of God. So I believe from the Bible, one of the ways in which we show our desperate need for God and we intensify our prayers to him is that we fast when we pray. That doesn't mean all the time. It just means we go through seasons where we desperately inquire of God, don't we? Sometimes we pray Sometimes we desperately pray. We have great need in our family or in our life or in what we're facing in our circumstances that we are inquiring of God desperately. And I believe one of the things that might accompany those desperate prayers is fasting before God. So I believe one of the main purposes of fasting is to intensify your prayers to God. But here's what I want to caution you. This is only possible through Jesus Christ. Let me warn us. Fasting has no spiritual benefit if we are not connected to Jesus Christ. Fasting has no spiritual benefit if we are not in Jesus. Why? 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this. Paul, talking about praying, says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, 
the man, Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? There's only one mediator between us and God. And if we don't have Christ, if we're not in him, then we have no intercessor who pleads our case. We must be connected to the only mediator between us and God. And so if we fast apart from Jesus, we have no audience before God. Only Jesus gives us that audience. So what we need is not rituals to try and gain acceptance with God, but what we need are changed hearts through God's redemptive work in Jesus. No amount of fasting can rescue your soul. No amount of fasting can make you right and acceptable before God. Only Jesus can do that. So don't rely on rituals or religious activity to try and make you right before God. It cannot happen, and God's not wanting you to do that. Instead, fasting should flow out of a heart that has already been changed by God, realizing that the only mediator we have is Jesus Christ. David Mathis, in his book on fasting and discipline, said this, Fasting is for this world, for stretching our hearts to get fresh air beyond the pain and trouble around us. Fasting accompanies intensified, urgent prayer before God. And in so, we are expressing our longing for Jesus and for him to be glorified. That's why we must have Christ for fasting to be a benefit. Mathis goes on to say, we fast because God has promised every good thing to his children in the life to come. We don't have to get it all now. We fast because we are desperately hungry for more of Jesus now. So fasting is connected to desperate, urgent, intensified prayer. But it means nothing if we are not connected to the only mediator between us and God. So fasting can't make you right before God. Fasting can't make you more acceptable to God. Only Jesus can accomplish that. So as I urge us in the future to make fasting part of the way we live our spiritual life and dedication and devotion to God, please don't misunderstand me. Fasting is not meant to replace a relationship with Jesus. It flows out of what Christ has already done for us. We fast because we love Jesus so much. We want him so badly that we're willing to give up the things of this life in pursuit of him. So I would encourage you, in times of prayer where you need to intensify your prayer or times when you are desperate in prayer for God to show his will and to show his work and what he's doing and to intercede in your life, I encourage you, in times of desperate prayer, perhaps fasting is something you should do. That perhaps just like in the book of Judges and just like in the book of Esther and just like the psalmist, that we might accompany our, our desperate prayers with fasting to show that we long 
for the life that only Jesus can bring more than anything that this world can supply. So this morning, I want you to see that this is something we do because we love Jesus so much, we want to be with him so desperately that we show that in our obedience to him and giving up those things that are not as good as him. Listen, I love food. I love it. I love it a lot. But when I give it up in times of intense prayer and desperation, I show that I love Jesus more than those things. May that be the motivation for it. And I hope it helps you to see that God graciously works in these things to show us his goodness. He is the one who provides. May we be desperately in love with him and seeking after him this morning. So this morning, you don't need fasting to rescue you. This morning, you need Jesus. You need to trust in him. You need to realize that his death on the cross is the only sufficient sacrifice to pay for your sin. His resurrection from the dead demonstrated that he had the power over sin, death, and Satan. That he was victorious in his death on the cross to defeat all opposition against God. And in his ascension to the right hand, he has been given the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that he is the Lord. This morning, don't trust in religious activity to rescue you. Trust only in Christ alone. And as a believer this morning, I encourage you that in times of desperation, in times of desperate prayer, in times of needing to inquire of the Lord, perhaps fasting is something you could do alongside to show your desperate longing for what Jesus alone can provide. I hope you see from the word of God this morning the intimate connection between fasting and desperate prayer before God. May we do it for his glory and his honor. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I know there are people in this place this morning who have come in here with different hearts. Father, there may be some in here this morning who don't truly know you. They may have spent time in church. They may be doing religious activities, but Father, they may not know you. They may not be in a saving relationship with Christ. And Father, I pray you would show them this morning their desperate need for rescue. Father, I pray you would show them that no amount of religious activity can ever make us right before you, can never pay for our sin. And Father, this morning instead, I pray that you would draw people to yourself to turn away from their sin and seeking the things of this world to bring them ultimate joy. And Father, instead, they would seek Christ. Instead, they would depend on his finished work. They would see that he has accomplished all that is necessary to make us right before you and to reconcile us to you, God. So this morning, if there's anyone in this place or anyone watching this, I pray, God, that if they're trusting in themselves, that you would help them to see that they need Christ. God, draw them. Cause them to turn away from their sin and trust in you. And for us, God, as Christians in the room and watching this, Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we don't do these things to keep your acceptance. Father, you've already demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to die in our place. But Father, may we do things like fasting simply because we long for you more than the food that we have in this world. That Father, in times of desperate need, that we might for a season put away good things like food, God, to petition you and to lay our hearts before you, longing for Jesus above all else. And so, Father, help us 
to fast rightly, to do it in a way that would bring you glory and honor. And Father, may we do it not so we can earn your love, but to do it because you have supremely loved us. Father, if there is any sin in our lives, Father, I pray that you will help us to confess it, to turn away from it, and to trust in Jesus and to long for him. So Father, in this place, whatever the hearts, God, I pray that you will rescue your people and bring them joy today in your presence. Father, may Jesus be our boast in everything that we do. And God, we'll give you all the glory in it because there's no one else who can supply this. Father, there's no one else who can redeem us. It is in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.